Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together, even though it's a rainy evening, and we look forward to brighter days in the very near future. It's hard to believe that spring is just around the corner, and it will be a welcome. And so we're glad to know that that is the case. It's good to have Brother Billy back with us tonight. I thought this morning, and I guess again tonight, that it's not, it's not typical to have John the Baptist lead singing. And Paul Bunyan reads scripture. But we had both here today. Now please do not in any way think that I'm disparaging anybody. I love Jared and Jordan both. But, uh, you know, Jordan, can, Jordan could probably clear a forest on his own. <laughs> and Jared, for, for a young fella, can really grow a beard. <laughs> we're glad you're here tonight, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. As we think about the man who holds the keys to the cemetery. I find it amusing that many cemeteries have a gated fence. Now you might ask the question, why is there a need for a fence with a gate and a lock at a cemetery? It's not to keep those who are in the cemetery bound in their places, but rather it's to keep people from the outside from going in and disturbing those graves. But you know, there is coming a day when every cemetery, the gates, so to speak, to those cemeteries will be unlocked. And the dead who reside in those cemeteries will come forth. And that ought to be of great encouragement to us to know that there is coming a day in which Jesus, the Son of God, will unlock the gates to the cemetery and the dead will come forth. In John chapter 11, we have an account of some friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. And they had a brother that was sick. His name was Lazarus. And so as we look at chapter 11 and think about the theme, the man who holds the gates to the cemetery, I want to begin by talking about the death of a saint. And really, when you look at chapter 11, this point could be summed up in the very succinct but profound words, Lazarus is dead. I want to begin by talking about the problem that existed and that is identified by the Apostle John. John tells us in verse 1 that there was a certain man who was sick. His name was Lazarus. He resided in a town by the name of Bethany. Now, Bethany was about two miles east 
of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is about 30 miles away in a, in a place in a town called Bethbara. And you can read about that back in chapter 10, verse 40, and John chapter 1, verse 28. So Jesus, at this time, is not in the city of Bethany. And so Lazarus is sick, and his sickness is such that his sisters are concerned. So much so that they send word to the Lord. And here's what is said in verse 3. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. It's interesting to me that while Jesus was upon earth, that he forged very intimate relationships with people. We talk about the deity of Christ and the fact that he was God who became man. And even though Jesus as deity emptied, emptied himself and took the form, the likeness of mankind, there were many attributes that he demonstrated that showed the human side of the one we call the Savior. Jesus had a close-knit relationship with his family. You remember, he chose 12 disciples who became apostles. There were three of those men that formed what we might call an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And they too had a very close-knit relationship with the Lord. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that their friend Lazarus, that their brother rather, Lazarus is sick. Now you have to understand that when Jesus receives word, he suggests that there is a purpose involved in this sickness. Listen if you would to what he says in verse 4. This sickness is not unto death. But he said, for the glory of God, that the, Son of my, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at what John says in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus was a man of compassion and love and care. So he's going to use this event, this circumstance, for his own glory. Jesus had the opportunity to work a number of miracles or signs. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, there are seven recorded signs or miracles. Each and every sign or miracle attested to his deity. In chapter 5, verse 36... He said, the very works that I do bear witness unto me that the Father has sent me. In other words, the signs or miracles that Jesus wrought lended credibility or authenticity to the fact that he, that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. So Jesus is going to use this occasion to demonstrate his power and not just to demonstrate his power, but to also bring glory to himself, to glorify himself. 
John suggests not only was there a problem and a purpose related to this circumstance, but there was a passing. Now I want you to note with me what is said in the record. In verse 6, when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So he's about a day's journey from his friend Lazarus. In verse 7, the text says that he states to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And then drop down with me, if you would, and note verse 11. In verse 11, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. They thought physical sleep was all that was involved. Now note, if you would, what Jesus said. Lazarus is dead. And then in verse 15, he said, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. We talk about the purpose behind this sign. Nevertheless, let us go to him. All of us have probably had occasions in which we have received a phone call, had somebody stop by our home, or maybe we've been at the hospital, and notification has been served that somebody that we love has died. Time ran out for this man, the man that we call Lazarus. What we need to understand is that one day time will run out for us. You remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27? It is appointed unto man once to die, after that cometh the judgment. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The brevity of life. In Psalm 90, a passage that we appeal to on a frequent basis where the psalmist talks about how the days of our years may be threescore and ten. We might live to be seventy. We might live to be fourscore years, that is, eighty. But he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. In other words, death intervenes. So time ran out for this man and time will run out for all men unless Jesus comes first and then time will be no more. There's a there's a passage of Scripture found in the book of Psalms that I want you to think about for a minute. In John chapter 11, we are informed of the death of a saint. How does God feel about His people who step out into eternity? The psalmist said in Psalm 116, verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Death signifies a lot of things in our minds. One of the things that comes to my mind is that when a child of God steps out into eternity, that that person, that individual, has gone home. They're going to be with the Lord. You remember Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, 
that when death comes, the body, he said, turns to dust, returns to the dust. But the spirit returns to God. God is the father of our spirit. That's what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12. And so, when somebody dies who is in Christ, they have, as Paul said, departed to be with him. Paul said that's far better. John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So here we have the death of a saint. There's a second thing I want you to see, and that is the distress of the sisters. Mary and Martha have lost a brother. And the Bible tells us that there was pain on this occasion. Death always brings pain to those who have been left behind. Now I understand that sometimes when we lose someone that has battled an ongoing illness or disease, that sometimes there's a sense of gratitude that they're out of pain and they're home with God. But death typically brings pain. Pain because there are severed relations. The person that we have loved and interacted with, spent time with, eaten with, done various activities, engaged in various activities with, that person's no longer present. There is, as has been said before, an empty chair. And so... These two sisters have lost, they've lost somebody very close to them. And there was pain on this occasion. And that pain is evidenced. Because the Bible says that both of these sisters wept. Martha, when she came to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Interestingly, when Mary encounters Jesus, she makes the very same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The text speaks to their pain. And the fact that these sisters wept on this occasion, not only did they weep, but I want you to look at verse 35. Verse 35, Mary has now confronted Jesus. And she has said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now listen to what John said. Jesus wept. In discussing the deity and the humanity of Jesus, here we are privileged insight into the human side of Jesus. Martha is upset visibly. 
Mary is visibly upset. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Have you ever asked the question, does Jesus understand? Does he understand what I'm facing in life? Does he understand how I feel? Does he understand the pain that I'm experiencing? Say, when we lose a loved one, does he really understand the magnitude, the weight of pain that I'm bearing? My response would be, oh yes, he understands. Not only does he understand, but let me tell you what, he cares. Jesus wept on this occasion. The Hebrew writer said, let me just ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 for a minute. Rather than quote it, I want to read it. Because I, I think it's important for all of us to look at what the writer said. In verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can Jesus sympathize with our sorrows? Can he empathize with us? Again, the answer would be a resounding yes. Does he understand? You better believe he understands. Jesus was moved to tears on this occasion. There's a great passage of Scripture that I've alluded to on a number of occasions, and the reason I do so is because I believe it is so important. It is a passage that you ought to have marked. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where Peter said, Casting all your care on him, and there's a reason for that, for he cares for you. Let me ask this question. Did Jesus care about Mary and Martha? Why, you know he did. They were friends. Not only were they friends, but the Bible says he loved them. There is this intimate relationship that existed between this family and the Lord. Now we talk about how we are the people of God. We are the family of God. As family members of God, does Jesus feel the heartache and the sorrow that we bear in this life? Again, the answer, yes. Yes, He does. So there was pain on this occasion, but then secondly, there was a promise on this occasion. I want you to look back at Martha and her interaction with Jesus. Again, she had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. And here's what Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Listen to her response. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's talking about the end of time. In her mind, she's thinking that, yes, Lazarus will be resurrected with everyone else when the world as we know it comes to a crashing halt. But here's what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Every time we stand at the side of an open grave and we bid farewell to a child of God, we remind ourselves that death is not the end. Do we not? We bring to mind the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has the keys to the cemetery. I understand that from a physical vantage point, there are remains. There is a body that we must take care of. But we know that that soul, that spirit, has gone home. Now the Bible tells us that one day Jesus will come. And when He comes, He's going to unlock the cemetery doors, the gates, if you please. And the dead will rise. Listen, if you would, back in chapter 5. Jesus said, The hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's a day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will literally empty out the cemeteries. I pass by cemeteries from time to time. And there are some cemeteries as I pass by, I think about the people that are buried in that place. People that I have known, appreciated, loved, and spent time with. But I know that's not the end. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And by the way, not only are there seven signs or miracles recorded in the Gospel of John, but there are seven I am statements recorded in this book as well. Each of the I am statements underscores who Jesus is. And so a promise is made on this occasion. In Revelation chapter 1 at verse 18, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am he who lives and was dead, past tense. He said, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now listen to what he said. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Who holds those keys? Jesus does. Who's going to unlock the gates to the cemeteries? Jesus will. So Jesus here makes a profound statement, a promise. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus has destroyed him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. When Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried, and raised again on the third day, do you know what he did? He delivered a death blow to the devil from which he will never recover. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promised seed was announced and the statement was made that 
The heel of one would be bruised, the head of another be bruised. The heel that would be bruised was a reference to Christ. His heel would be bruised in death. The head that would be bruised was a reference to Satan, to the serpent. And it was a death blow. Now, right now, death is a part of the human family. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one day death will be swallowed up, listen to him, in victory. So, John chapter 11 to me is a great chapter. It is a triumphant chapter, a victorious chapter. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has made a promise, a promise to all of us, that even though we die, yet we'll live. There are people today that are in the Hadean realm, that is the realm of the unseen, and they died in Christ, they died as children of God, they died as saints of God, and they're in a place called paradise. Luke 23, 43. It is identified as Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. There's a third thing that I want you to see in our study, and that is the deliverance by the Savior. Drop down with me now if you would. And note what is said in verse 37. Some of the people said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. First, there is the removal of, of the stone. And then secondly, there is the raising of the saint. Now again, I want you to think for just a moment about the purpose. What was the purpose involved in this account? Well, listen to what Jesus said. Take away the stone, verse 39. And, no, and note, if you would, what Martha said. Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Lazarus had been dead, and his body was undergoing, as we would say, decomposition. It was decaying. And so there was some hesitancy to remove the stone. Jesus said, did not I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And the text says, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus then lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. You remember what Jesus said back in John 5, 36? The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The miracle that Jesus is going to perform will demonstrate His power over death. He's demonstrated His power over matter, turning water into wine. He demonstrated His power over distance, healing the nobleman's son. 
He demonstrated his power over human illness or disease. He healed a blind man in John chapter 9. He demonstrated his power over nature. He walked on water. And so Jesus now is going to show definitively that he is the Son of God. How's he going to do that? Well, note what it said in verse 42. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there on that occasion? I would have loved to have been present. To have stood beside Jesus. To have had the opportunity not only to hear him pray, but to see him work such a great miracle. Now, the question might be asked, what about Lazarus? Did he respond to the call of Jesus? Look at verse 44. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. Over in chapter 12, we read of Jesus dining with Lazarus. In closing, I want you to think about this for a minute. Imagine standing among this group of people. You have heard Jesus audibly. You have visibly seen Him at work. I mean, you've seen the results. Here is Lazarus that was dead. He had been dead four days. It was documented. It was well known. And now this guy's out walking among you. You've seen the evidence. How would you have responded? How would you have responded to the man who has the keys to the cemetery? Listen to what John says in verse 45. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Him. They saw, they heard, and they believed. They weighed the evidence before them, and their conclusion was, you know what? This guy's somebody special. Now listen, we're not going to be able to see what Jesus did, visibly speaking, in our lifetime, are we? We're never going to be able to see Jesus raise somebody from the dead. It's not going to happen. We're not going to see anybody else raise someone from the dead. But we can read about it. And we believe this testimony. John said, Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But He said, These are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by the way, Martha affirmed her belief in Jesus as the Son of God. What is it the Lord wants from me? He wants me to weigh the evidence, doesn't he? He wants me to sift this book that we call Scripture. Begin drawing some conclusions. 
And his hope is that my conclusion is Jesus, as identified in Scripture, is the Son of God, and I want to make him the Lord of my life. So there was faith on the part of some, but then there was fear on the part of others. Puzzling to me how some of the very people that were present on this occasion that had seen what had been done, they could not deny that. But rather than believing in Jesus and following Him, you know what they did? They went out and began plotting and planning how they might have Him put to death. You know what that is? That is dishonesty. Jesus talked about those who have an honest and good heart. You've seen the evidence. You know what the book says. But you just will not buy in. They had seen the evidence, but they wouldn't buy in. The Lord Jesus Christ has the keys to the cemetery. And I would remind all of us that there is coming a day in which the dead will all be raised. And as John said in Revelation chapter 20, we'll stand before the Lord. He said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? You're going to be judged by the books in the Bible. Are you living by Scripture? Are you living by faith? If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that He is the Son of God, why not do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent. Be baptized. For the remission of your sins, let God put you in His, in his church, in His family. And then be faithful until death, and the promise is the crown of life. Yes, as Jesus said, you may die, but you'll live. If you're unfaithful to His cause, we plead, we beg you to come home tonight as we stand and sing.